Welcome to Replenish Hope. I am your host, Denise Castro. Hi, and welcome to Replenish Hope. I am your host, Denise Castro. And as you know, we will be talking about Celebrate Recovery, and we'll be sharing many stories about recovery and healing and how that can be done and how it is possible for everyone. And today I am going to present you Miss Carla. I met Miss Carla when one year ago when I walked through the doors of CR here in San Diego, California, and as sitting there and listening and hearing her story and also seeing her lead um, has um, been a blessing and also very freeing for me as a person just sitting down and listening and watching. But Ms. Carla, thank you so much for saying yes to my invitation. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation. You know, Ms. Carla, I was reading your story, and one of my favorite things of to read is um, I love reading um, novels, but based on um, true stories combined together. And I really, although there were a few pages, I didn't want it to stop. Like you are really talented in your, in your, in your words, how you write them. So. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It was, it was, it was very uh, challenging trying to get just enough in there, you know? And, and so, yeah, I'm just going to start, you know, this really inspired me to start actually writing my a testimony book. Yeah. It, I think, I think, um, I think it will be a, a person who has walked um, this journey the same or a person who has never could actually understand this story. So thank you for sharing um, some some beautiful and also intimate real moments with me through your words when you wrote it down. So thank you for that. And we're going to share that today with all of all of the people who are listening, listening to our story. So uh, Ms. Carla, I... I'm just really blown by your, let's start with your, with your childhood. Want to share a little bit about like your family dynamics when. Um, I was my mom's first child. She had me when she was 15. Um, and I was actually my father's first child as well. He was 17 and, um, actually believe it or not, I, um, I was a very loved child, very loved. Um, it was just very dysfunctional and very, you know, but I was very loved. I was very loved and, um, I had the best birthday parties Yeah. and I just, I was a very loved child. I just wasn't, I was loved by my father's family, not my father. Mm. My father abandoned us, um, shortly after I was born, but my father's family took us in. So I grew up around, I grew up around seeing my father, but never with my father mm -hmm. so that was very hurtful mm -hmm. um to me and it affected me in a in a big big way and my mom was a middle child so she my mom said that she thought it was a good idea that if she got pregnant that my dad was like take her and they'd run away and live happily ever after and she'd run away from her household yeah so that was the plan uh-huh that was <laughs> that her plan yeah that was her plan yeah yeah you know you share in your story that when you were born, there were some complications, even from day one. Oh, yes. 
um, when I was born, they told my mom, they gave her, uh, they gave me 24 hours to live. Uh, they, they thought, or I had spinal meningitis. Mm-hmm. And so they advised my mother that I sh- they should baptize me right then and there in the hospital. And so they did. Yeah. They did baptize me. And the very next day I was cured. The next day. So I know that, yeah, the very next day I was cured. It was all gone. <laughs> so I knew, yeah. And, and now that I look back and, and I see my whole life, I know that God has had his hand in my life since the beginning. My goodness. Like you were healed, remember, like at that moment. At that, yeah. I think, Miss Carla, you had faith since day one, not even knowing you <laughs> had faith. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, well, he has a, God had a purpose and a plan, you know? Yeah, yes, he does. Yes, he does. You know, you shared how your, you just mentioned right now how your parents were so young. I mean, you're, you know, 15 and 17. And, and when um, your bio dad um, decided to, I mean, just decided to do his own thing, that changed your mom who she was, didn't it? Yeah, unfortunately, it really did. It really broke her. And she couldn't, she couldn't live past that for a long, long, long time. Yeah. I didn't seem, I mean, she, till this day, she still tells me that she dreams of my father and she dreams about still being, that they got back together again. Wow. Like it never left her. Never left. She really loved that man very much. Yeah. Yeah. So in that moment of, because you, it was so many years that she was so sad. What did she use to fill that void? And, what happened to you, Miss Carla, in that time as a child to 16? So my mom started, she, my mom, when she, she had me, she dropped out of the eighth grade and she never went back. She became a welfare recipient and uh, she started drinking. Uh, we come from a family of alcoholics on both my, my father's side of the family and my mother's side of the family. And her father and her mother were alcoholics and and that's what she was taught. And um, so she turned to alcohol and um, she just drank her little heart away and, and um, was with different men. And it was just, it was, it was a really, it was a rough spring up because of, because of the alcohol, the parties at night. You know, my mom was the type of person, she was, she was the partier. She was the good time girl where she, when the bar closed, she invited everybody back to the bar Mm -hmm. and I was there sleeping and I had a, I saw things that I shouldn't have seen and I heard things I shouldn't have heard. And, um, yeah, it was pretty, very traumatizing. Yeah. Um, were you, yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Sorry. If, and in that, in that midst of being, um, hurt and traumatized, I can, I can see that, you grew up on your own, taking care of yourself and taking care of her. Yeah, there was a uh, there was a time. Um, I maybe I was around five, maybe five or six, when um, one night my mom came into my room and and she kneeled by my bed and she woke me up and she said she would just start crying. She'd just start crying and just apologizing and saying how sorry she was for being such a bad mom and giving me the life that she was giving me and um and I felt so bad for her and I just told her mommy it's okay it's gonna be okay you'll see one day our life is gonna get better 
everything is going to be better. And if I feel like at that moment, the tables changed, turned, and I felt like after that, I felt like I was the mom and she was the daughter. Yeah. Yeah. And I just wanted to grow up. I just, everything I did, I, I, I didn't want to hurt her. So when bad things happened to me, me not telling her was like me protecting her because I didn't want her to think it was her fault. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there was nobody there to protect me when I was, you know, when those bad things were happening to me. Would you like to share the pain of what were the things that were happened to you, happening to you in that time, Ms. Carla? Um, yes. It just, you know, it seemed like I had a magnet or a bullseye on my forehead. Like I said, from the beginning, uh, it seemed like I had a hit out on my life. The devil was out to destroy me from the beginning. Um, I started being molested around, I can't remember exactly the age. And um, with a lot of molestations, people, it's usually like one person. But with me, it was a lot of people and different people so you know I can't remember like I said how old I was but I think around maybe four or five um, I was molested by neighbor I was uh, molested by one of my mom's boyfriends I was molested by family members by friends of family members and it just went on throughout my whole childhood I mean there was even times where I'd walk home from school I was uh, I remember I was second grade and a couple of times this happened. I don't know if it was the same guy or not, where they just stopped and pretended like they wanted directions. And I went to the car to, to help them. And they were exposing and pleasuring themselves in front of me. So it just, it was always one thing after another. I just always seemed to cross paths with these, you know, with these six people. Yeah. And um, so that's how, that's throughout my childhood, that's how that was. Yeah, it's true. Um, I I also experienced that in, in a young age as well. And it is true, like after that happens, it, it seems like they, uh, the people who are, who are just, that do those things are like attracted to you. Like they know, yeah. I don't know. So they, free- like they know it's okay. Yeah, it's okay to do it to her, you know? Yeah. Like that's what it seemed like. And so yeah. And it's, it's, it, it's not only that, like I, we had, um, like you, you, we sit down, we hear stories like people have different addictions to different things. And it's like p- people who have the same things just know that they have the same problem or they have been hurt the same way. It's just really weird how evil can can smell yeah, hurt or evil. Yeah, it's For really. Sure. Yeah. Miss Carlos. And what happened? Because that can only happen for so many time until you're your innocence or your soft child heart becomes hard. Like what happened to you when, when you said this is enough, I'm no longer going to be the victim. Uh, That happened when I was around 16 years old. So the molestations happened, like I said, maybe around four or five and that continued uh, throughout my childhood. And then I was raped. It was date rape at the age of 13, mm. um, where they took my virginity. Mm. And then I was sodomized at the age of 15, also another date rape, not knowing, you know, just 
I was always looking for that fatherly love. I was, I really sought the attention of that male figure because I lacked it in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was naive and, and thinking and gullible to the attention of, of men. And, um, so at 15, after that, so 16, I fell in love for the first time. And, um, at that time, um, right at that time, my father, I found out my, my father was killed. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, it was, it hit me really hard, but, um, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm including my father in this because it all came, it's like the, the hair, what is it? The, the hair, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Yes. Um, so my father was killed. That was like the day that I knew that, um, my dad would never come for me because in, in my mind, um, I thought that maybe one day my dad would get better and he'd come for me, you know, like a fantasy that a child thinks of, um, and hoping, and so that part of me was dying. And then I happened to get pregnant. I found out I was pregnant. So my father was killed, and I think like maybe two weeks later, I found out I was pregnant. My mom, I was 16 years old, so my mom made me take took me and get an abortion because she didn't want me to make the same mistake that, that um, she had made by having a baby so young. And when my when um when my boyfriend found out that I had the abortion, he left me. So all these big things happened all together. My dad, which I thought was my hope, was killed. Uh, my mom had me take me to go kill. I killed my baby. And then the love of my life left me. And it was that very moment in my life that because of everything that I had experienced up until that point had proven to me that this is just the way it was going to be, that men were going to be there. Men were just users. They were just there to to use you and throw you away. And um, after the, the pain in my heart and the sadness came the rage, I was angry. I was angry and I was hurt and I was devastated that and I just accepted I just said okay you know what this is the way it's going to be fine this is the way it's going to be I want war I declared war on every man that that would cross my path after that and I said because I saw my mom give her heart to all these losers that would come in and out of her life and none of them took her seriously none of them loved her how she was desperate as well looking for love I decided you know what I'm going to do you one better I nobody's going to hurt me no more I'm going to start charging for that. In my mind, instead of keeping myself awake, just instead of not interacting with the men, to me, I already was so desensitized. I was so sexually desensitized that I felt that there was no other way out of it. In my mind, that was this is how I was going to protect myself, that I was going to start charging for sex. And nobody was ever going to take advantage of me again. I was going to take advantage. At the, the advantage, I was going to be the taker, not the giver. Mm-hmm. You know, I was going to use men for my pleasure and for my gain. And it was that moment that I that I convinced myself that that I was that's what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. That I was going to 
I mean, I didn't think in my mind, yeah, I'm going to be a prostitute, but that's what it was, you know, that I was going to start taking revenge out and I was going to take all I can get out of these men that came into my life after that time. Yeah. Yeah. To share a little bit um, with the people who are listening, because I have your beautiful notes here, because on the good times, um, your bio dad would share that things are going to get better and we're going to live somewhere else. And that was your hope, right, Carla? My dad came one time, one time in my life, and it just happened to be on Valentine's Day. Um, I don't know where it came from, but he came on Valentine's Day to our house, and he asked me if I wanted to go to Grandma's house spend the day with him. And I, and I said, yeah. And he brought me this pink pencil with little hearts all over it and a pink heart eraser on top. And it was the most happiest day of my life the most happiest day of my life and I'll never forget it and on the way to grandma's house he told me that one day he was going to get better one day he was going to get better and we were going to move to Oregon and we were going to live happily ever after and I held on to that Mm -hmm. I was about 12 years old I think I was about 12 years old and that's what I held on to um through the rest of my my upbringing I I was 12 years old, so I still hadn't been raped yet. I guess I had been molested already. But after that, honestly, nothing mattered to me. It was okay. No matter what bad things continued to happen to me, it was okay because my dad was going to come and rescue me. Mm-hmm. And I was just waiting for my dad to get better and to come rescue me, and we we're going to move away and live happily ever after together. Yeah. And also that that tragedy, Miss Carla, that you know, that was taken away from you. And the decision um, of having the abortion, it was forced upon you. And, and your first, um, your first young love um, was hurt by it. And you lost that part in that time. And, you know, such a young age, like when you live, when you think, well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna hustle. I'm gonna, I'm going to do what I can. It's, it's people be like, you were so young, but when you live so much, you, you just jump there. I totally understand that. And we always, we always struggled for food and for, because like I said, my, we grew up welfare recipients and my mom being an alcoholic, you know, it's the food and the money only lasted maybe the first week of the month or maybe up into the second week of the month. And then after that, we didn't have no food and we always struggled about having food and, and it just made sense to me. And um, I'll never forget that I, I pulled my first trick at 17. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the thing that I did with the money, I ran home and I gave it to my mom. Wow. It was $75. I made $75 and I was so excited to take it to my mom so that she can buy food for, for my sisters and for the house. Because, you know, and she asked me, where'd you get it? Where'd you, because at that time, $75 it's is a lot. lot. Of money. Yeah. And, and, um, and I was like, don't worry about it, mom. My friend gave it to me. And she didn't question me any further about it, and she let it go. And and that was the moment that I thought that something good can come out of this, that we can, that I could do this, mm-hmm. you know. And it, and it, and it, and it, you know, the enemy just like put the nail in with that, like, oh yeah, if you could do it, this is good, you know. Mm-hmm. In my brain, in my head, I thought that, and so I, I, it made sense to me. Yeah. So how long? W- you, obviously you were still living with your parents at the, with your mom at that time and 
And but then, you know, when you start when you start um, earning your own money, you start having more liberty and um, you, you moved out. Correct. And then. Yeah, what happened is and honestly, I didn't really get into the prostitution at that age. I mean, I did it. And then um, I didn't get into the prostitution really, like really seek it out until I was a little bit older. What happened is that when my father was killed, I started receiving his uh, social security money. And so that gave me, and then my mom had just had another baby from my, from my stepdad that was at the time. And they were really bad with their drinking. And this time, um, this guy was, you know, they beat each other up and it was just a really bad scene. And I was, I had the opportunity, it was an opportunity to, to move out because I was getting this money. And so I did, my aunt helped, uh, helped me get emancipated mm-hmm. and I moved out and I started receiving my dad's money. And then I lived with my aunt for maybe about six months and then I left her and I got my own place. Wow. At 18 years old, I had my very own apartment and mm-hmm. I started working. I actually had like a, I was working at some gas station, but um, yeah, I started working and living on my own at that age and, and just partying and and I started, you know, doing heavy drugs. I was living on my own. It was, you know, and um, started smoking weed and smoking crystal meth and drinking and pills and seemed like a good life at that time. I was finally away from, you know, my mom and her boyfriend. Mm -hmm. So at the age of 22, Miss Carla, can you tell us that was the time when you were doing all that and you had multiple um, abortions as well. Yeah, by the time, so between the ages of 16 to 22, I had five abortions. Mm-hmm. Five. Mm-hmm. Um, I just was like so convinced that, that, um, that a baby was not the right thing to do to bring into this world, yet at the same time, I wasn't taking care of myself. And I was like literally using abortions like birth control, you know, like, I mean, like not birth control, but, um, like a choice. Yeah. It was just, you know, it, by the time I was 22 years old, I already had five abortions and it was, it's amazing. It's just amazing how blind you are in that time, in that time that I was, because now I look back and it's like, oh my God, I can't, I can't believe I did that. I can't, I know the first one's not on me, but the other four, yeah, those were on me, you know, and um, so I was, by the age of 22 years old, I already had had five abortions. But at, at, when you uh, got pregnant again, that was a different story. Want to share? Yes. So I got pregnant for the sixth time and I was 22 years old. Um, so then I probably got pregnant twice that year. Uh, I had, I got pregnant with my son and my mom this time was like, you know, you should have this baby because maybe, you know, she thought maybe you'll calm me down and it'll help me get off the drugs and that I'll settle my life down. But, but it didn't, I ended up having my baby and he spent the first, um, probably the first five years living between my mom, my sisters, um, my aunt, my relatives, 
that he, he really suffered a lot, that little boy. He saw a lot of things and I was very abusive to him. Um, he lived a very, very, uh, very cool life when he was with me. And um, yeah, that's a, that's a testimony in itself for him and uh, what he went through. Yeah, it's also, you know, you share like how when he was born, you were, when he was born, you were so worried that they were going to find something in his, you know, when they do the baby, they check the baby oh, and stuff. Oh, that was, um, that, that actually was the seventh pregnancy. Oh, okay. Okay, well, well let's That's go back a little bit. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the thing uh, it amazes me that you were still working and doing doing Oscar, you know, like reading cards and, and stuff like that. I always wonder, like, were you right on in some of the things or you were just not? No, I, I was. I, I mean, people came to me all day long for stuff like that. I And I, I just I realize now that um, when you're spiritual, you're spiritual. It's just, you know, but I was serving the wrong person and I was pulling my information from the wrong area you know and when god gives you certain things um they're your gifts and they're not taken from you because they're given to you from birth and so um when i was 22 okay so i had my son i got my very own apartment in imperial beach and that's when the heavy heavy drugs started um the prostitution really started the witchcraft i mean i would you know um if i wasn't selling you drugs or selling you my body I was charting the skies for you. You know, I was doing people's astrology charts. I was reading cards. Um, I actually was pimping out other women that were homeless on drugs that came my way that had nowhere to go. I let them stay with me. And so I, I was really, really bad at that time and, and really, uh, uh, really, just, yeah, that was the yeah, it's it's interesting how you said that because you're a leader and you have a heart for women and it's amazing how in the good you can do so good and in the bad you can do so bad. Yeah, straight taking them to hell with me is what I was doing, you know, and but now, you know, it's just, God, it just, it makes sense now when you look back though and, and seeing like, I, God gifted me, you know, this, this heart and this compassion to want to help people. I loved helping. I, I really thought that it was my gift, um, to be able to sit there and, and, uh, I used to, talk, I used to care. I used to have this little hourglass, uh, thing on my desk. I used to have a desk right there in, in my house doing drugs and people would come and sit on a couch like a psychiatrist. It was so, I mean, I used to sit on my couch and, you know, I sell them drugs and, and then they sit and talk to me about their problems. And I would just sit there and talk to them and listen to them and then advise them. And I told them, you only had this much time to, to talk to me about it because I was busy. Are you serious, <laughs> Carla? <laughs> like, next. <laughs> seriously. Wow. We doors. My goodness. That's amazing. I mean, like, that's what people need. But... That is so funny and amazing. But I didn't give them hope. I was dancing them. Well, yeah. oh, this would only go. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I get it. I get it. So it was, it was poor people, you know. But I had it. It was it was really hard to get away from the witchcraft. I really, I really, I really thought 
out spiritual things. I really had a hunger for it, but I just was in the wrong, you know, I, I went down the wrong path and it, it actually comes from my family as well. My dad's side of the family, they believe in all that. Okay. So it, it comes, it was, you know, this, those were generational curses that I had to break. There you go. I had to break because it comes from family, a history in my family that, that, you know, uh, did things like that, you know, cars and, and, and dreams and I'm not dreams, dreams are not bad, but, um, you know, trying to predict people's future and, and yeah. stuff like that. So um, I come from a history in that yeah. and it just seemed like it wasn't bad. It, it, People try to combine witchcraft with God. It's a God thing, and, 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 and I did anyways. I used to say, God gives me the tools, you know, to use to help these people figure out their life, yeah. which were the tarot cards, our astrology, and, and all these things. Yeah. And so I was so confused and so perverted, you know, with, um, with life. Yeah. So, Ms. Carlick, want to tell us about when you got uh, pregnant with your dear daughter, like that journey? My goodness. So, when I got pregnant for, what did I say, the seventh time? Okay, the seventh time, that was the hardest um, time in my life because at that time, I lost my apartment. I was homeless. Mm -hmm. My son went back to live with my family. Um, I, and everybody kept saying, just have an abortion. I don't know why I didn't go have an abortion. It was just, it, it was so weird. And I, and I just didn't. And, uh, and then people try to convince me to, to give her up for adoption. And I couldn't picture that either, it was, but I was homeless on the street. I, the only time I went to the doctor was to find out that I was actually pregnant. After that, I never saw a doctor. And I was still using methamphetamines. I was still smoking marijuana. I was still taking pills. I was still drinking. Um, I still from 7-Eleven just to eat. I sleep on the beach right there in Imperial Beach. Um, I went from house to house and just, I was homeless. Um, but something, something happened. Uh, the, the night that I went into labor, um, I was I was getting high and I told the my friend of my the house that I was at, I told her, you know what, I'm tired. Can I can I lay down in your living room? And she said yes. And so I laid down and I think around ten o'clock at night or something, my water broke right there on the couch. And I just freaked out. I just started fighting because I didn't want to uh, bother the um, my friend in her other room. I started crying out to God. I started crying out to God and I was just so scared because I didn't know what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. I had nothing but the clothes on my back and pregnant and I, my water just broke. And, um, I just started crying out to God. I just started crying out. Like I've never cried out before in my life. I just said, God, please help me. Help me. If, If this baby's born with some deformity or if this baby's born dead, or if they take this baby away from me all because I'm a no good drug addict, I will never. I told God, I said, I will never, ever forgive myself. Ever. I will never forgive myself, God. If you just take my life, I don't want to live. Please, please just let my baby be okay. And about one something, I couldn't take the contractions anymore. And I went and told my friend, can you please take me to the hospital? And she did. And she dropped me off and left me there. 
and I continued to pray and just keep praying and, and I asked God, please, please, please help me, help me. And um, please let this baby be okay. I mean, I didn't know what I was having. I didn't know I was having a boy or a girl. I didn't, I didn't know anything. And uh, my mom, my friend had went and told my mom that I was in labor. And my mom came right before the baby was born. And like around 9.06 in the morning, my daughter was born. And believe it or not, she was like seven pounds. I don't remember the ounces, but she was like a seven pound baby. Wow. She had all 10 fingers, all 10 toes, two eyes. Everything was perfect when I looked at her. And But every time they took her, to take tests, I kept thinking that they weren't going to bring her back. I said, they're going to find the drugs in her system. They're going to find the drugs. They have to find the drugs in her system. There's no way that they won't find drugs in her system. Mm-hmm. I used drugs throughout my whole pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And so I just kept praying. And every time they brought her back, and if, I mean, they must have take, took her like, I don't know, I'm thinking like three times. Mm-hmm. Three times, oh, we're going to check this or we're going to check that. And I, I was like, okay, okay. And I lied to them. I told them that I had had my prenatal care in Mexico mm-hmm. and that I was just visiting my mom um, that day mm-hmm. and I happened to go into labor. Mm-hmm. Um, they kept, and so I had nothing. My mom ran across the street and bought me, bought my baby an outfit and a diaper and, and a bottle, a bottle and a, um, and a car seat in order to take her home. Mm-hmm. And when they allowed me to will, they, when they allowed me to leave the hospital mm-hmm. and I got to carry my baby out of the hospital it was at that very moment that I knew that God existed and that God listened that I mattered that I wasn't too little of a person that I wasn't too far gone that I wasn't such a piece of nothing that he wouldn't hear me mm-hmm. that he heard me mm-hmm. and he listened and he had mercy on me mm-hmm. at that very moment Race. I didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve my baby to be good. I didn't deserve my baby to be healthy. I deserved nothing. And he gave me everything. Mm-hmm. And that was the pivotal moment in my life about God when it came to your God moment. That was my God moment. Mm-hmm. That was my God moment when I walked out of that hospital with my baby girl in my arms, knowing that she was okay. Mm-hmm. Despite everything that I put her through, she was okay. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Still took me a year. I was still, still took me a year being on the street. I was on the street. My mom let me go home and I stayed at at home for like maybe three weeks or two weeks. But then she ended up picking me out because I kept leaving. uh, But this time I left with my baby. She didn't keep my daughter. I had it. I went out into the street with with her. And now the, the pressure was even even more because I had to, I had to make sure that I made whatever I made the money to pay for the hotel room every night so that my baby girl wouldn't sleep out on the street. Mm-hmm. And that's when things really got ugly. Things really got tough. And I didn't. I had to allow things to happen to me just so I can get the money to make sure that that we didn't spend the night on the street mm-hmm. so that they didn't take my baby. You know, because police would have saw me sleeping on the street with my baby, they would have took my baby. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was a, but shortly after, I, I think, um, yeah, almost a year, um, I got pregnant again within those three months of my, my little girl was, I don't even know if she was three months yet. 
and that's when I just couldn't take it anymore, and I and I couldn't perform anymore, and I just pushing that little baby in the in the in the stroller all over you know all over the streets, and then pregnant again. I finally um, started looking into getting to a, a program, and I did, and that's when the San Diego Rescue Mission opened the doors to me. Wow. Yeah, it's a great it's a great nonprofit here in San Diego, California, and downtown, and and they do amazing things. They they in house families or um, single parents to get recovery, and also if you have children, they help you out as well. They let me do my recovery with my children. They never took my children from me. Wow. And that you can't hardly get any. I mean, that is amazing. You know, I did recovery with my baby. My son, I ended up getting my son back from my family, and I was the San Diego Rescue Mission saved my life. Mm-hmm. They saved my life. They saved my children. You know, I owe them. I, I, I will. I will always be indebted to them for what they did for me and my children. Yeah. And you finished the program, Miss Carla. I did. Yeah. I did. They had to kick me out because I didn't want to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, you learned um, community and what, what you know. You bet you learned so many things and your own value, that that self confidence. Like I am doing this, and that I matter. Yeah, that's when my God moment started, and I and I started getting. They gave me therapy. We did Bible studies. I started learning my value with God. You know that I do matter. That I that I am more than just a sex object. That I am more than that that I, I, I am a person, you know, that God loves me. And I, and I started learning all that as a mission and I completed my courses. And when I graduated from there, um, I took my, my, uh, my diploma that I got and the court dismissed all the charges that I had picked up in the past for different things. Mm -hmm. And, um, even that was a miracle. I had nowhere to go. And they're like, you have to, you have to get a job now. You have to do this. And, and God blessed me, and I got a job. And um, my aunt and my cousin ended up helping me pay, uh, get an apartment, pay the deposit for the apartment, and and help me get a used car. And God just got it. Just started working, you know. I started putting. I I had nothing, you know, and all I had was God. All I had was hope for my future mm-hmm. because I had nothing. Mm-hmm. The only way to look. The only the only way to look was up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could have, I guess, kept looking down, but I'm a very optimistic person, naturally. Um, I, I was always, like you said, the hustle and, and, you know, don't give up. And now I did it. Now I had three reasons. Mm-hmm. I had three reasons to not give up. And and you know what? God knew that, that I didn't love myself enough, but he gave me something that I would love enough to start changing my life. And I believe that that's why he allowed me to, to have my three children and allowed me to keep my three children mm-hmm. because he knew that they were enough to, to get to get me on the right track and they were and they are <laughs> it's it's amazing how a community of people even the family that you felt that abandoned you at one point helped you also it was all god that helped everything and everyone to help you to move forward and also your three reasons of why your three three children that God have a you know a blessing for you to carry on, and um, it's it is an incredible an incredible story because very few 
have done it, Carla. And very few, like it's chosen, very few are chosen. And like one of your favorite um, Bible verses, Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has great plans for all of us. And it's not to harm us or to forsake us or it's for good things. And it's really, it's really, really, really beautiful to see it in your life and in so many other lives. And, and you were, you were single for such a long time, but then God had another blessing for in your life when you met your husband. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I got out of the um, mission. I had a job, my apartment. And, um, you know, you would think the enemy tries to convince you that, that you're broken, that you're just, you know, that you're, that nobody wants you. And I just kept, you know, when, when it's so important to know the Bible and to read the God's word, because when you know God's word, you can stand on his promises. And, and you start to have confidence in, in, in God and who he is, not who you are, but who he is, who God is. He's merciful. He's graceful. And he's, he wants, he's your Abba. He's your father. And he's going to love you, not like your earthly father, but a love like you've never known. A love that, that actually, you know, I wish every little girl would know mm -hmm. the true love of a father. But unfortunately, not all of us got that, you know, mm -hmm. but my God, I finally found the father I was looking for in God. And um, and I just kept crying out to him and I kept doing my part. I do my part, keep working, keep trying, keep doing and And he just kept placing it, you know, going before me. And I met my husband Ooh. in the 2013. Good, good guy. But, you know, it wasn't a drug addict. He wasn't a, he wasn't a gangster. He wasn't, you know all these things that I was usually attracted to. Mm -hmm. um, and and he decided to love me and love my three children and, and make a life with me. And uh, we got married in 2016. Ooh, that's a, it's a blessing how God also restored your heart and also believing that something good can happen even in the heart of a male. And tell me how, how you found um, Celebrate Recovery? So another best thing in my life yeah. um, saved my saved me. Um, so when I got married to my husband, I attended, when I got out of the San Diego Rescue Mission, I was attending The Rock. Mm -hmm. So, um, but when I met my husband, him and his family, his, like his mother and his father, um, attended the Nita Valley Church, and um, he kept trying to convince me to change churches, and I didn't want to, but he finally convinced me, and I so I changed churches from the Rock to um, the Nita Valley, and um, so I started going there, and and um, you know even after I left the mission and I and I started and I started working and all that, there was still something broken in me. There was still something wrong, and I didn't know what it was. And, and I just I started, and I never went back to the drugs. Thank, thank you, Jesus. I never went back to the drugs, but I did still drink. Mm -hmm. And at first, the drinking wasn't bad. 
like when, you know, it wasn't bad. It was like a weekend warrior thing where I just drink on the weekends, or maybe I drank uh, once during the week and then the weekend, it, you know, it was never more than, you know, three days out of the week or two days out of the week. It was, you know, it seemed, more, you know, casual, yeah. me, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially because of where I come, you know, my background, it's just, if you drink every day, then you're alcoholic, mm-hmm. you know. That's that's a true sign, you know. That so I was okay still, yeah. even though I <laughs> drink the whole weekend away, I was still okay. <laughs> yeah. So I thought, yeah. But what I started to realize is that there was, there was, I was still broken. There was something still missing in in my life, and I didn't know what it was, and I and I didn't know how to. So I started drinking more and more. I was just so uh, I started uh, being depressed about. Um, about I hadn't achieved my life goals like I wasn't where I knew I should be Mm. and I and I worked really hard and I got two jobs and I had you know and I was always working and I thought that if I got a second job that um that I wouldn't have time to drink so I was trying to like Mm. (laughs) I was trying to psych myself I get you know whatever way you know I thought well if I get two jobs then I won't have time to drink and I just won't drink Mm -hmm. instead of trying to address the real issue mm-hmm. I was trying to run away from it and side, you know sidestep it mm-hmm. somehow and no it didn't work it just got worse you know I was drinking on the way from one job to another job you know mm-hmm. um so it so the drinking got really bad and I really and I really I told you I've always been a spiritual person and I really sought after God and I and I just didn't understand why I why I couldn't move higher why I couldn't you know um my life just was at a standstill I could not evolve I couldn't I couldn't move on no more I was just where I was at you know it seemed I the more the more jobs I worked the money came in but as soon as the money came in the money went out Mm -hmm. I, I didn't you know there was I couldn't I wasn't a homeowner yet I couldn't you know my credit just all these things would not they weren't connecting mm-hmm. and I was trying so hard to make it happen, to be, to, to be able to, to make all this money, get out of debt, get a house, do all these things. And it just, and, and also my spiritual relationship with God would just stay, it would just stay at one level. And I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't level up and I just didn't know why. And so I just kept drinking. I'd be drinking drunk, drink, uh, reading my Bible, you know, like, or I'd be in the bar I'd be in the bar trying to preach while I was drunk. Like, seriously, you know, come on. <laughs> but I had a heart. I had a heart for this. And, but I didn't, I was so, so, so something was wrong. Something was, I didn't know what it was. And the drinking got really bad. And so thank God, I, I finally decided, okay, we have to figure this out. I put myself in an outpatient. Pro- and, you know, this was devastating to me again, because here I go. I'm, I'm having to go to rehab again, you know, like we already did this, Carla, you know, mm-hmm. what's wrong with you? You already did this part. Mm-hmm. But when you don't resolve the root of your issues, there they you will go. always be there. They just get covered up. Mm-hmm. And so I started, I started the outpatient program. I started doing therapy with their therapist. I started going to their meetings at Kaiser. And I realized that there was no God involved in, in those, in those sessions. And I said, I got to have God. God is the only one that can save me. And so I remembered that we had to celebrate recovery at Bonita Valley. And so I said, I'm going to go to celebrate recovery at Bonita Valley. And so I started going and, oh my gosh, from the first time that I walked in there, I knew I found my place. Mm -hmm. 
I knew I found my people. I knew I found my tribe. (laughs) And it's not that everybody shared my my addiction or my hurt, but we but everybody there had a hurt habit or hang up Mm -hmm. and they found a safe place that they could go to. And just be who they are and be accepted. Mm-hmm. You know, there's and I and I finally found my place and I was just wow. And so I still did the Kaiser outpatient. I followed all protocols. I I was trying to check off everything. You know, I got on medication, uh, psychiatric medication. Um, I tr- you know I was just trying to cross off all this just to try to find out what was wrong with me. You know, like mm-hmm. why why am I still running? Or why am I, you know, my life is good now. It's not bad. My life is not what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Why am I still running? Why am I, you know, there's nobody there. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm still, what is, what is wrong with me? Why can't I learn to live in the present time and be okay with that? Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I started step study. Hello. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yes. Step study. Step uh in the Celebrate Recovery, I was raised, this is a a, a, a 12 step where they teach you, where they take you back. Mm-hmm. They take you back to your childhood and they take you back to whatever moment, whatever it is that you feel most traumatized about. It doesn't have to be your child, maybe it wasn't, it's just for everybody, it's different. But this, these lessons take you back and ask you questions mm-hmm. and you start to have to ask yourself these questions mm-hmm. and um and so I started this journey and doing a lot of prayer and and even fasting um one day I uh so one of the questions in there one of the first questions too it is they ask you well what was your part and I was offended I was offended by that question yeah, I really too. was I was like, my part I don't got no part. I was the victim. Mm-hmm. I was the victim. I have no part in any of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really, really believe that. And and so there's four books to, to the step studies. And it wasn't until we got into the second book that I kept asking and you know, I kept praying, God, what you know, I that question kept haunting me. What is my part? What is my part? And um one day on my way home from work, I was driving and I kept praying. And actually, I was I was involved in a fast at that time. And I was helping to pray for someone, and they were praying for me. And I asked God before I started the fast, God, what do you want me to pray for? You know, like for me, like what do you want me to pray for? And God, um, and I was having trouble at the time because my mom lived with me. My mom was living with me, and we were having trouble with my mom getting along with my husband and. And and God gave me the word re- rebellion, and and I thought, oh, it's because my mom's rebelling. You know, my mom is having a rebellious spirit against us, and she's rebelling and fighting with us. And so I said, okay. So for the three days, I was you know in this fasting, and I'm praying, and 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 God, please remove any rebellion in my house, and please you know take anything that you know that goes against you or from my house. And you know what? This whole, I was I was in the middle of driving on the freeway on my way home from work, and it was like the stadium lights just came on, boom, and God gave me a revelation. Mm-hmm. 
But the rebellious one was not my mother. The rebellious one was me. Wow. And he took me exactly to that very moment when I rebelled against life. And that's when I was 16 years old. Wow. When, I, when I rebelled, when I made that decision that I was going to have war against, against life. And, and against him. I mean, I didn't say it was against God. I never said that. But it was this war against life that I was in. This is how I was in a fight back. But in the in the in the Bible, they say that rebellion is like witchcraft. Mm. And and I had rebelled. I had rebelled and went all the way. And and I and he brought and he he gave me that revelation that that it was me that I had rebelled. And I was like. I just started crying and, and just asking for forgiveness. I repented. I said, God, I am so sorry. I never meant to, to rebel against you, Lord. I never meant I never meant it to be against you. I just, you know, it, and he knew I didn't have to explain, but he just wanted me to see where I had, because I kept asking, what was my part? Mm-hmm. What was Carla's part in, in, this, in all of this? My part was that I decided to rebel. Mm -hmm. I decided to take vengeance on my own. I decided that I wanted to seek out revenge on my own. And that was my part. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, Denise, when the moment that I realized that and I started repenting, I felt the change break off of my life. I felt something just lift up off of me. You know, I don't even know how I got home that day from work. It was just so like, and I didn't crash or anything. It was like, God just took me back to that time when it happened. And, 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 and he showed me and wow. And, and, and I was free. And that very moment, I was finally free from the demons. I was finally free from myself. I've been running from my, I was finally free from myself. And it and it couldn't have happened. It wouldn't it it happened because of celebrate recovery and, and, and sex studies that, that I was that God was able to take me down deep to that dark place back in time. Um, when when I when I when that happened to me and I was free. I was very free at that very moment. Mm-hmm. And I can't there's no words to explain it. I other than than that the chains were broken. The chains were broken and they were lifted off of me. And it was, wow, such a revelation, yeah. such a revelation. And, uh, and ever since then, I, I, uh, yeah, I'm still, God is still working with me with things. And, you know, now that I'm not drunk anymore, he could even work on me even deeper with about personal things. Cause now you, when you start really looking and you start, you find yourself in a position where you're willing to hear, you're willing to listen and you're willing to accept, Hey, you know what? You, you know? Yeah. I guess I was like that. Huh? I guess. Yeah. Wow. I guess. Yeah, I was. And, and, and God, and like that, and now God can work with me and now God's working on me. And, and now the Holy spirit is a lot louder and quicker. It, you know, in me to where I'm like, oh, okay, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm sensitive now, and, and, and now, look, I mean, now I'm leading, I'm helping people, I'm helping to celebrate recovery, and I'm doing all the things that I always wanted to do, yeah. but for God, there you go. and with God, there's hope, and with God, there's a future, 
That's right. Yeah, I would love to read one of your quotes here. And I was going to ask, uh, how do you replenish your life and how do you replenish your life with hope? And like you said, you're helping others. You're you're involved in something that you have walked it out. You're continuing to walk it out. And that is, I can, I know that that is a big uh, way to replenish your hope. But I will also like to quote uh, one of the things that you wrote down in your, in the notes that you sent me. And it says, for the first time in my life, I can now say I am clean and sober, happily married, and a proud mom of three amazing children. And I will spend the rest of my days like Acts 2024 says. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Amen. Yes. And that is... All grace. Yeah. yeah. All grace. My whole life is grace. Yeah. His grace. And the beauty thing, the beautiful thing about God and the beauty, the beautiful thing about recovery of all kinds of recovery is that grace is given freely to everyone who accepts it. Everyone, everyone, yeah, everyone, yeah. He died for everyone, yeah. Not one person, not some, but for everyone. Yeah. You know, Jesus died on the cross for everyone, and um, it doesn't matter. You know, my favorite, my favorite Psalms is Psalms one thirty nine, um, and it's so near and dear to my heart because when I read it, um, it says, you know. Where can I go from your spirit? If I go down to the depths of the ocean, you are there. If I go, you know, that you can't go anywhere and he's not there. He was there the whole time. And he still loved me. And he still patiently waited for me. Just like he still loves you. And he's still patiently waiting for you. And that's everybody out there that hears this and is listening to this. He loves you. He sees you. And he still loves you. I think that's beautifully said. Ms. Carla, thank you so much for sharing your your story. Thank you for choosing recovery and healing and and God is good. I'm glad that yeah. God God created a Carla to help all of us. <laughs> or uh, uh, thank you, <laughs> And it's it's really um beautiful to all of our listeners, you know, to I we can all relate to something and and it's true what Ms. Carla said, that when you walk into a celebrate recovery and in your town, they're all over the world, um, you walk in and you finally feel accepted and you feel understood. So if you're if you're if you're a person that is looking for that, we totally encourage you to do that. And Ms. Carla, thank you so much for sharing your story of replenish hope in your life. And um, to all of our listeners, just remember that hope is for everyone. Thank you for listening to Replenish Hope. If you want to get daily doses of hope, please subscribe and share the hope with others. And remember, hope is for everyone. <laughs>